No one likes to be manipulated. No one here, probably no one in our lives, likes to be told what to do, what to say, how to act, how to function in our world. At the same time, every single one of us is shaped. We are formed by our culture, we're formed by our families, we're formed sometimes by our church, by our faith life. We are formed by the words that swirl around us in our everyday experience, as an example. I was hanging out with a group of friends, there were four of us all standing around, and of the millions of things that you talk about with your friends that are always benign, one of the things we started talking about was our shared enjoyment of woodworking. And we all have table saws. My table saw is very old and it's a little rickety, but it still works. But a couple of my friends wanted to buy new ones. So one guy was talking about how expensive they are and they're ridiculously expensive. So he's not sure if he's gonna get one. The next guy was saying, well, I've been, I've been saving up my coupons and all of these you know, store points and all those sorts of things. And I was able to get a really good price on sale for this great saw. Another guy in the group said, I found one at an estate sale. So it was in very good shape. And I was able to negotiate the price, they had set a price at that sale, but I was able to negotiate it down to such a good value that I couldn't help myself. Except here's the thing, my friend didn't say that he negotiated the price he used in anti-Semitic slur. You probably know it, you've probably heard it. Some of us might dare to confess we've used it. It's not as if our Jewish brothers and sisters are the only people on the planet who care about the price and want to negotiate a price, but somehow that has become part of our culture. It becomes part of our, almost our psyche that we don't even realize that we're saying it out loud until we've said it, that we walk in the world in a particular way. Every single one of us, we are shaped by the stories, by the experiences, by the words, by the culture that moves around us, and it's how we encounter each other. Because as we know, no first impression is neutral. Every person who we see, whether it's on TV or we're about to interact with them in a live, in a live conversation, before they come up to us, depending on their height, depending on their gender, depending on the color of their skin or their dialect or the language that they speak, the nationality from which they come, the color of their hair, all of that frames for us how we are going to encounter that conversation and we are already establishing what that conversation is gonna be like before a single word has been said. Q John chapter three. We come to this text and we're meeting this guy, his name is Nicodemus. For those of us who are doing the 40 days of the Gospel of John as we're reading through that, I'm gonna spoil this for you now, Nicodemus appears again and again. He has, a, he has kind of a, a recurring cameo role in the Gospel of John, but this is the big one. This is where he shows up first. We haven't met him yet. And before we meet him, John gives us three descriptors about him that help to set the frame for how we might encounter this guy before he says a single word. John tells us, he's a Pharisee, he's a Jewish leader, and he comes to Jesus at night. All right, the third one's not really a, it's not really a descriptor, it's more like an action. But all three of these are really important to how we think about Nicodemus before he even says a word. He's a Pharisee. So I look around, and I can tell that the majority of us who are, who are here, we've hung out in places like this before. So we've probably heard other gospel readings before where Jesus bumps into Pharisees. And sometimes, depending on the Bible study or the devotion or even the pastor, we might have a perception that Pharisees are antagonistic, that they are counter to Jesus. Because they ask a lot of questions. 
They like to poke and prod, and sometimes they are being a little antagonistic, but most of the time, if we were to read them, we would see that they are mainly they're asking theological questions. Now, there is no modern equivalent to the Pharisee in our culture or in this world. Pharisees as a profession died out almost 2,000 years ago. The best way that I can describe a Pharisee, and it's horribly inaccurate, but the best way that I've come to understand what a Pharisee is and describe it to you is that there's something like a community pastor. Their role is to take the word of God and take it out into the world. So they are encountering God's people. They live in the community where they serve. They're, they're helping their neighbors, their co-workers, people in their lives to see that God is near and they have particular techniques and they have particular words, particular prayers, particular ways to help their community know that God is with them. Now some of those techniques, some of those traditions are not the same ones that we use, and they're not the same ones that Jesus uses. But because they're part of the community, they're always around. So we could imagine that if some famous person talking about God were to move into Mount Morris, it's highly likely that I would want to go see what that person is about, what she is talking about. And I might even want, because they're using the same you know, words that I use, I might even ask a couple questions of them. That's what the Pharisees do. They love asking questions. They love learning about God. But because they're always doing that with Jesus, and because you and I are, are pro-Jesus people, we often see them as antagonistic, as annoying, as counter to the movement that Jesus is trying to create. John tells us that Nicodemus is a Jewish leader. This one's a little tricky. This one requires us to be a little bit more open to confession. Anti-Semitism is woven into the foundation of Christianity. Not just the Christian church, not just Trinity Lutheran Church, but our entire faith tradition. There is anti-Semitism. There are these threads that move throughout how we see God and how we walk into the world. And the Gospel of John in particular is an unwitting architect to some of that language. So I use the phrase anti-Semitism and immediately we probably start thinking about Nazis. And yes, there are still real live Nazis. There are real live Nazis who marched in Charlottesville only a few years ago. Real live Nazis who are protesting in Tennessee right now. This is a real group. There are probably real live Nazis in Ogle County. There's probably real live Nazis in our community. But we see that and we immediately throw up our hands and say, well, we're not that. Except that the language of anti-Semitism is so much more subtle than guys who are doing cosplays dressed up in army fatigues. Anti-Semitism moves in the ways that we do Bible studies, in the way that we do devotions, in the way that we see our relationship with God as, as maybe even counter as folks from the, from the Hebrew writings. We have even wondered, I have even wrestled with myself, wondering about why God seems to change from an angry, bitter God in the Hebrew writings to now a, a loving, compassionate God here in the Christian writings, except it's the same God. So we wrestle with these words, and they move around our culture, and around our community, and around our minds before we even know it. It's at a, at a deep DNA level. And then we find out that Nicodemus comes to Jesus at night. Again, if we have a chance to read through the 40 days of the Gospel of John, chapter 1. John does not like darkness. John doesn't like night. I heard this adage just a couple of weeks ago again. Nothing good happens after midnight. 
I suppose we could expand that out in John's frame and say nothing good happens at night. In fact, every other time that night or darkness appears in the Gospel of John, it is not a good thing. It implies brokenness. It implies dysfunction. It implies moving counter to God. We might even tell ourselves that when we are in the light of day, when we are in the light of Christ, well, then we are nearer to God, and so we are, we are closer to God's love, and Nicodemus is moving at night. Every person we meet, we are framing around the references that we've been given. All of our experiences, all of our stereotypes, all of our words. Whether it's Nicodemus in the Gospel of John, or it's someone who we are about to meet on the street this week who we have not met yet. We are framed by these understandings. We are framed by words. We're framed by how our families describe each other and different groups of people. All of this becomes who we are, and it, it corrupts our encounters with God. And it corrupts our encounters with our community, with our neighbors, our coworkers, our classmates. And here in John, this guy Nicodemus, Pharisee Jewish leader, comes to Jesus at night. He asks these questions that because we've already set up the frame, he sounds kind of ridiculous. He's asking odd questions. Questions that we wouldn't dare ask God because they sound so offbeat. Except you and I know because we come here often enough, Jesus doesn't make much sense. The logic of resurrection doesn't make sense. The logic of someone having to die so that someone can live makes no sense. And Jesus here in this text is talking about being born anew. Here's a professional theologian wrestling with Jesus, and he's trying to wrap his mind around ideas that you and I cannot wrap our minds around. But what we experience in this text is that this Pharisee Jewish leader who comes to Jesus at night, who comes when the worst things happen, this is where Jesus hangs out with Nicodemus. Jesus sits with Nicodemus. Jesus listens to Nicodemus. Jesus engages Nicodemus the way that Jesus finds us where we are. Sometimes in the light of day, like on a Sunday morning, and sometimes deep in the middle of the night when we are full of questions and we are full of wonder and doubt and fatigue and dysfunction. When we are at our worst selves, that's when God finds us and Jesus stands with us. And Jesus loves us and grants us grace. Jesus hangs out with Nicodemus. He already has three strikes against him and he hasn't said a single word. But this is where Jesus dwells, in darkness. This is where Jesus moves and grants grace. It is at night. It is at our worst moments in ourselves. That's where we are encountered by the cross. Note how Nicodemus asks questions, but at some point Nicodemus stops talking. Because as he asks his question, God receives them and then Jesus responds, by giving a word, a holy word, a new word, and Nicodemus is moved to receive this word. The way you and I, when we are encountered by God, we receive God's word and we are transformed. We are moved, we are shaped, and we are transformed out of our brokenness, out of our dysfunction, out of our experiences and expectations that we lay upon each other, and we begin to see each other through the cross. Nicodemus, out of this bizarre conversation with these really odd questions that he asks, out of this conversation we get one of the most famous verses in our faith. Some of us probably have it memorized. God so loved the world that God gave God's only Son so that everyone who believes in him won't perish but will have eternal life. This verse 
that shows up on bumper stickers and shirts, and some of us carry close to our hearts. This verse rises up out of darkness. This verse comes out of a, a sense of brokenness and betrayal that we have in our lives. That's where grace is found. That's where the cross exposes itself. That's where we remember again the depths of God's love for us, that God will find us where we are, and God will transform us. It is through this text that Jesus is leading us into encounter with Nicodemus, but not just Nick. But Jesus is leading us back out into the world, maybe in the brightness of a Sunday morning, maybe in the, the dim light of a hazy mid-afternoon, so that when we are walking in the world, when we are encountering God's people, no matter their height or their gender or their identity or the color of their skin or the color of their hair or their dialect or their nation of origin, are all these parameters and divisions that we once held, that in that moment as Christ leads us, we through the cross can witness life. We, through Christ, can imagine how grace is flowing through every person who we meet and how through our experience we may get to witness and hear God's word flowing across creation. Amen.